Welcome, everyone, to Care in the Load podcast. I have Jen Spencer here with us. She is an amazing woman. I can't wait for you to get to know her. She's got an incredible story. For over 20 years, she was a meth addict. She um, experienced things in her life that I can't even imagine personally. And it's honestly a miracle after a miracle and how she was able to take certain situations in her life and use them to, to change. So welcome, Jen. Thanks. It's good to be here. So, you know, Jen, I, I kind of gave a little bit of a, a background, if you will, of, you know, 20 years of being a meth addict, but would you... Tell me from your perspective what it took for you to make a change. Well, I I mean, there there were a series of changes that were made over over the course of several years. Um for the first 10 years of my addiction, I was a meth addict. I mean, not meth addict, a meth dealer. So, um I was selling selling meth to pay for my habit. Um, and had an experience, um, that changed me and changed the the direction that I was headed on. Um, I found out my little brother was using, uh, heroin at age 15. And when I found this out, um, I was just devastated. My brother was my favorite person on the planet. And, um, you know, he didn't know I was a meth uh, dealer, but but I just remember thinking to myself, like, I was so angry that somebody would get him high and somebody would give him heroin, something so deadly. And I remember having a moment where, um, you know, I, I, it was kind of a rude awakening, like um, spirit kind of just telling me, like, Jen, who are you? Uh, every single person that you sell to is somebody's brother, somebody's mother, somebody's father, you know, they're loved deeply by someone and you're giving them poison just like someone's giving him poison. And that was a reality check for me that actually, um, I couldn't, I couldn't justify selling drugs anymore, not even to pay for my habit. And so I made a decision to to quit quit dealing because I my conscience just wouldn't allow me to do it anymore. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the fact that when you realize that these people that you sold to were loved, yeah. kind of seems like that was the key. That love when you when you put two and two together that they were loved by someone else is when you couldn't do it anymore. Right. And cause here you had this love for your little brother who, you know, this deep, deep love for him that you couldn't just, you know, that anger, all of that, that, that swelled up. I can't even imagine. Well, yeah, it's like, I can't be mad at them. I should be mad at myself. You know, I was no different. Yeah. And oftentimes I think that, you know, we don't want to see that we're, we're not different. 
you know, we want that excuse or, you know, whatever that we use um, to justify our actions. And here, this was something that that love, that deep love is what resonated with you to get you to stop selling. Now that didn't, so from what you're saying, that didn't stop you from using. No. No. So how many more years were you using? Um, 10 more. So yeah, I was, I was a full blown drug addict, uh, die hard, was never going to quit no matter what I was going to die high. That was my, that was your motto. That was my position. And in fact, to this day, there's people that I used to get high with that just can't even believe that I'm sober. And I mean, cause I was one of those people who was like, never going to quit. I'd rather die than come down. And so, yeah, realizing that that I couldn't justify selling ju- drugs to to other people anymore cuz cuz now they were people to me, you know? And yeah. uh, it was it was more of a like I still had this massive habit that I couldn't quit cuz in my mind what it was was I I had this traumatic incident happen to me um er, really early on in like in my marriage and and it was so traumatic that it was it felt like this tidal wave of emotion was just chasing me and i don't know you know what a tidal wave looks like i mean it's huge and it if it catches you it's going to crush you right and so right. in my mind i i saw this tidal wave coming for me and i was running for my life and so quitting wasn't an option because if i quit it was going to kill me it was going to crush me and i knew it and so so finding out about my little brother using got me to stop, you know, it got me to change course, you know, change course in the, the, the way I was living my life, the direction it was headed, but I couldn't stop using. So I just had to develop a whole new way to, to make money that I could pay for my habit without, you know, committing crime or, or hurting other people. And so... That's amazing because to me, I look at that and I think, wow, here you were in so much pain mm-hmm. yourself yep. and, and the addiction was covering up the pain. It was a way to manage the pain, right? It was a, Kept it me was alive. A <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, and, and I think um, often if we were able to look behind the smile in many people, in countless people, you would find pain and, and we all deal with that pain and those emotions, those tidal waves of emotion in very different ways. And yours happened to be a way of using, you know, using to stay high, to stay numb so that you didn't have to feel that emotion. So in these years, I'm assuming that you had, you know, you had a a very expensive habit that you you needed to to be able to fund but you also so did that leave to situations where you were homeless or you where did you live where did you how did you meet all of your financial obligations you know as well so that you could keep cuz the number one thing of what you had to be able to afford that was my main financial uh you know what all my money went to pretty much um, I, I had, 
I, I actually became a dumpster diver. And so I, the, the last 10 years of my addiction were funded completely off of dumpster diving proceeds. I would go get stuff out of a dumpster, sell it on eBay. And my, my periods of homelessness weren't necessarily due to financial unable to pay. It was more like I had a, you know, like a hoarding issue. And because I find so much cool stuff in the dumpster that like my landlord was like, dude, you gotta, like, you gotta get this out of here. So yeah. here you are, you're living out on the streets. Now you're in Utah. Mm-hmm. Winter's like in Utah. Oh, brutal. So brutal. And I mean, so cold, you can't even think, especially if you've got nowhere to go, you know, I mean, yeah, even with somewhere to go, it's brutal. So here you are on the streets in these, or the mountains, you're up in the mountains. Were you in Ogden? I was living in Ogden. Yes. In Ogden. And, um, and there in the middle of the winter, you saw some pretty sad things, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there was, there was one winter, um, at very early on in the, in the beginnings of my addiction. Um, I was at, uh, the Salvation Army program in Salt Lake. And while I was living there, seven of the people that I was in treatment with left and went back out onto the streets and were later found frozen to death. Seven in just one year. Wow. So it was a, that was a pretty deadly winter. And that was, that was before, you know, I really got into hardcore homelessness, but it was a, the reality of the pain that you can't think you mm-hmm. can't reason that that the drugs are your only way of survival that you would rather stay out and be homeless i mean, i wouldn't say rather but that is the choice that is the solution is to be homeless as opposed to feeling right because if you got help and you got tried to get clean and sober then you have to feel yeah. And, and it hurts. And it, <laughs> it, it hurts. hurts. Yeah. It hurts. And, you know, and so de- that pain is so debilitating. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what, you know, I can't even, I know what pain feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the depth of that pain didn't take me to where you and many of your friends were at. Yeah. And I'm so, so grateful for that. But so let's, let's kind of fast forward um, to another tragedy in your life that, that propelled you to the next step. Um, your brother was 15 when he first told you he was using heroin. Yeah. What happened as his life progressed? So he, he really struggled. Um, he went in and out of treatment centers for for years and years and years. Um, when he was when he was 25, him and I had a conversation. He had OD'd and ended up in the emergency room. And after after we had got him out of the emergency room and he had been revived and stuff like that, he. He told me that I asked him how many times that had happened to him. 
And he said, I have died 42 times in my, during my addiction where, where I overdosed, took too many drugs and I had to be revived by an ambulance, uh, with Narcan. Um, and 42 times is a lot. (laughs) It's ever happened to me once. Um, but he, a year, year after that experience, I uh, got a phone call and was told that he had shot himself and died. I'm so sorry. Cause I know how much you love him. Yeah. And, but I also know that that experience and that love took you to another place. Because you had been in a place of, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be the dealer. You didn't, weren't going to hurt anyone ever again, but you were still hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To place where you're at now, which you're no longer hurting yourself. True. So what happened that, um, you know, before in your brain, it was that love, that connection of love of of him and how much you loved him and how could somebody do that? Because to you, not wanting to do that to someone else that was loved. Right. To now, what happened with you? Um, so this involves my brother again. Um, five years ago, I had a friend die and... This was a friend who, um, she, she, she used to, she had been my therapist at one point, And then she's, when she retired, we became really, really good friends. Um, but I found out that she had died of breast cancer. And I remember, you know, like that, uh, it was like a hole got blown through my soul and she was really the first super, super close person to me that had died. And I remember just being in this, uh, the pain was so intense that I couldn't take enough pills. I couldn't, I couldn't smoke enough meth. I couldn't drink enough. Like I was taking everything I could to try to numb it and I couldn't stop crying. I just had this lump, you know, in my throat. And at the time I was living at my parents' house and my little brother was living there too. And this was, he was living there. Um, he, he had just celebrated his 18 month sobriety birthday. He was in drug court and he was doing amazing. And I was so, you know, overjoyed for him, but I also knowing that I was still hopelessly addicted, I, I kept my distance from him because I didn't want to be that, you know, negative influence on him. Cause I knew I was still using, but he gave me the hope that getting clean was possible. Cause I saw him go from like in and out of jail, in and out of treatment. Like he couldn't quit to save his life. And he got, he was given the gift of drug court and was able to like stay clean for 18 whole months. And it was such an inspiration to me. And then his, uh, so this one particular day, this is about two weeks after my friend had passed away and I was struggling bad. 
And she came, his, his, my brother's wife came to me and asked me if I would get her high. And she had been clean as well. They had met in a treatment center and gotten married. Um, so he didn't know she had been using. Anyway, she asked me to get her high and I just had this like realization, like crap, she's using. So that's only a matter of time before he starts using like, and I saw this vision. I saw what was coming and I saw that he was headed straight for a relapse and that I had a decision to make, you know, what he chose to do, whether, you know, whatever he chose to do, I had a decision to make. And my decision was this choice was I could either, I could either get her high and participate in welcoming him back into the drug world. I mean, cause that ultimately would be, that's what I would be, be doing if I made that choice to get her high and, or I could trade places with him. I could see, cause I saw, you know, he showed me for 18 months, it was possible. And I, and I just realized like, I could, I could really make a change here and I could stop what I'm doing and I could get myself in a position to where I could be there for him when he falls, you know, I knew it was inevitable because I previously, I had, I had been married to a guy that I met in rehab and he relapsed and that's what got me back into drugs. And it was, so I saw, I knew what could, you know, what was potentially going to happen to him. And, and that was my like moment of, okay, I love him more. I didn't know how I was going to quit. I had no idea how I was going to quit, but um, I ended up going to that friend's funeral. And um, I, well, when kind of back it up a little bit, when my friend died, I, um, I kind of heard this voice and it said, go to the funeral. I've left a friend for you. And it was, and I felt this hand kind of like squeeze my heart. And this is when I very first heard about her dying. Um, I went to the funeral and seriously, it was the weirdest thing. This lady approached me and she said, are you Jen? And I said, yeah. And she goes, my name's Dana. And Sandy told me to keep an eye on you. And I want to give you my number. And I want you to call me if you have any, if you ever need a friend. Like, And I hadn't talked to Sandy. Sandy was my friend who had died. I hadn't talked to her in, I mean, seven months, something like that. I didn't even know she had cancer. I didn't even know she was sick. And so this was like, to me, I felt a divine, I don't know, intervention of sorts. And so, so after this experience with my brother's wife and, and that vision I had of, you know, where he was headed and, and making that, like, I, I could get myself in a position to where I could quit. I called this lady and, um, and I, I remember just being so torn and, and I, I asked her, I said, have you ever felt like you're so far down that there's no hope of ever finding the light or ever coming back from it? Like you've done so much screwed up stuff that you're just garbage and there's no hope. And she's like, well, where are you? And she came and found me and, and we, we had this long talk and I told her, that I had this meth problem and I was really struggling. I didn't know how to quit. I didn't know 
what to do. And I, and I said, I, I, I told her that I had learned, I had heard somewhere in an AA meeting that, you know, if you pray and ask God to take away your addiction, he will. And so I said, I've been praying for that. And she looked at me and said, Jen, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard anybody say. And it like, at the time it like, I felt like I'd been slapped in the face. Like it was, it hurt. But at the same time, it was like, that is exactly how I needed to hear that. Because I, and she went on to explain like, Jen, you can't, you have worked so hard to get yourself into this addiction. You have like made this your God. You have moved heaven and earth to, to get your drug, to keep it, to stay high, to keep going. Like this has been your mission in life. And, and like, he's not just going to take that away. All the consequences, you know, that come from, from, from all of that hard work. You, you know, you're going to have to do your part to like change this. And that's where I felt so overwhelmed and was like, I don't know how, you know, I, I want it, but I don't know how. And it was really, I'm glad that we had that talk. That talk changed me. And then I asked her, I said, well, let me ask you this. How, how do you give something to God? Like, what does that even look like? Um, and she said another thing that like kind of was annoying to me was she said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And in my mind, I'm thinking, but I can't access him. He doesn't talk to me. He talks like, like I looked at her. She had a good relationship with God. Like, and I, and I was hoping that, you know, she would give me the answer. I telling me to pray was not what I was wanting to hear same time it was like this you know this hand just hit my head and it was like duh why don't you ask him and it had never occurred to me to ask him I would always go to somebody who I thought had a good relationship with God and I would ask them these hard questions but but no it got it really got me thinking and so a couple weeks later I um I had I was struggling like I wanted to quit so bad and just did not know how. And finally, I heard this song by David Archuleta um, called Glorious. That song was amazing. But, it, you know, it's all about finding your purpose and what your part is in life. And and I remember just sobbing when I heard that song and because it was like I needed to hear it. And in that moment, I realized that. I had nothing else to lose. And so maybe I should give this prayer thing a chance. And so um, I I pulled my truck around the back of my storage unit and I I proceeded to to talk. Well, so when I had asked my friend how you give something to God and she said, why don't you ask him? She I forgot to mention one thing that she said to me and that was that it was like she could read my mind um, and see my, she saw the frustration I was having by not answering my question for me. And she's like, Jen, I don't know how it is that you're praying, but you're doing it wrong. But she's like, you've got this idea that you have to say these certain words and do these certain gestures and you have to, you have to say it in this order. And, and she goes, you just need to talk to him. You just need to talk to him. Like he's sitting right there next to you. 
and you need to pour your heart out to him and you need to just tell him everything like he's your father, you know? So this moment after, after hearing that David Archuleta song, I, I came to the, this realization, like I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to try this. And so I went, I, I pulled my truck around the back of my storage unit and I just started talking. And when I say talking, what I really mean is my heart opened up and it was pouring out and I was, I was just talking out loud. I was, I mean, within, within seconds, I'm just sobbing. I'm telling him every single thing that I had done that was keeping me so ashamed, all the things that had happened to me that was hurting my heart, all the things that were keeping me high, all the reasons that I felt. And, and, you know, to be honest, I started this prayer. I started this prayer with the intention to present my case and ask him if it was okay or just tell him I, because really I was sorry he had, he had wasted a body on me. All the reasons that, that it should be okay for me to end my life. And, and I did, I laid it all out. And I mean, we're talking a good half an hour, 40 minutes. I'm just ugly cry ever. And, and I'm just telling him I'm laying it all out, everything that I'm struggling with and the fears that I have. And, um, you know, why I didn't think I could do it and how sorry I was that I wasn't turning out to be who he wanted me to be or who he made me to be, who, you know what I mean? And, um, and then I started, I got this feeling like someone's going to come around the corner and they're going to catch me talking to myself and crying and they're going to laugh at me. And suddenly it was just this intense fear, like, crap I you know like that scared me and normally this is where I would have been like I knew this wasn't going to work I went to go turn my car on and I stopped and I asked I asked him if he was real and if he knew my name and if he knew all the things like that I was struggling with and that that were hurting and if it mattered to him and and it was like i wanted to know if he loved me and i've never had a more powerful i felt this rush hit my body like i mean chills everywhere and i felt that same hand squeeze my heart just like i did when my friend died and it was that this comforting squeeze like familiar and i know you and and hearing him say, Jen, I've been waiting for so long for you to ask me these questions. Like, of course I'm here. And he just, like, like I felt that hand squeeze my heart and me just be lifted right into his hand. And he has held me ever since. Oh, I, Jen, we've never, I thought I knew the story. Really? You didn't know? This is so much more. So much more powerful, and everything goes back to that love. Yeah, every single decision you made was based on love. Yeah, the decisions to start using was based because you didn't feel loved. Yeah, 
The decisions to stop dealing were based because you loved your brother so deeply. And so all of a sudden you realized others loved the other people. The decision to go to a funeral (laughs) was based on love. The fact that this woman came out to you and knew who you were and was willing to watch out for you and help you was based on love. And then to ultimately go to God and ask, do you love me? Do you know my name? You know, it's that love that I think is, you know, it is, it's the reason we all, there's so much pain. Is because one, we have that shame. We have, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel, you know, whatever, or that fear that all of a sudden you feel, well, that fear of somebody trying to get you to run before you ask the question of, do you love me? Yeah. And I know for me, when you talk about that, that's hand on your heart and that squeeze and the understanding it's that kind of feeling that I've had that's helped propel me to where I'm at today, that helps propel me when I'm stuck, when I am down, when I am not so certain about who I am. Yeah. And reminds me, you know, Annette, I love you. You're my daughter. And I'm here for you. You know, it's that same thing of, I I could totally relate when you talked about asking, you know, going to someone else to ask about this or how do you pray or how do you give something to God? I've done it too. Really? I didn't trust myself in that I could, I would know or receive that answer for myself. But friends, whoever's listening to this, you will receive an answer and you will know you're loved. And, and that you are loved. This is so amazing to me, though, this step-by-step. Step. I mean, the reason you chose to turn to God and to pray was out of love to help your brother because you knew he was going to relapse. It wasn't for you. I mean, I, I'm assuming if you're, you're like me a little bit, that it's easier to do something for someone else that you, someone you love than it is to do it for yourself. True. And, um, cause there are times, especially when we're struggling, we might not feel that we have that we're, that we're worth that love, but you knew your brother was. Yeah. And so if you could get to that point to help him, then, you know, that was the motive. Well, and that was this that was the part of the prayer that comes comes after what what I just experienced was um because I first started out that prayer as a you know, I wanted permission to end my life. And then after I asked God if he loved me and and if he was real, it was confirmed. Like I've never had a confirmation quite like that, but I knew that if that was confirmed and that was real, then I could keep going. And so then I asked for something else and I didn't ask him to take away my addiction because I already learned that was a dumb thing to say. I asked him something different because I remembered that conversation 
And, you know, I said to him, okay, because you, you know, you've answered, you've answered this, this question. I know you're there. I know you love me. I know you're concerned with me. I know you're real and you, you know, my name, but now will you help me? Will you give me the desire to change? And that, that was it. That, I mean, I have the chills everywhere just saying it out loud because it was like, you know, I don't, if you get, if you get, get your hands and you stick them in manure, you know, and you pull them out and you're like, now you got crap all over your hands, right? You can pray, hold your hands up and be like, I have faith that you will heal me. Like, you'll clean my hands. Please clean them. You know, you can beg and beg and beg, but until you do something about it, you go find the soap, you go find the water, like he gives it all to you, but you gotta go do your part too. And you have to want them clean. I had to want it. And I knew that if I wanted it, if he gave me the desire to change, that, that I would move heaven and earth to get it just like I did with my addiction. You know, I wanted to get high and that was my, that was what my mind and heart were set on. And so I was going to do it no matter what, it didn't matter. I find a way. And so if I put that same energy chasing my dope into chasing my recovery and chasing him, but it is all because of desire and, and asking him to give me that desire. I love that whole concept. You know, you talk, so you asked the right question. I, I wrote down here on my notes, it came down to asking the right the question. The right question. Yep. And, and sometimes I feel like we're just rushed to, you know, take it away, take it away. Mm-hmm. And we don't ask that right question. You know, I have asked that same thing over and over, you know, God, will you take this pain away? Will you take this away? Why do I have to hurt so much? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to have this fear? You know, whatever the question was. But Jen, if I, if he would have taken that away, I would not be who I am today. Me too. (laughs) I am so grateful that he didn't just take it away, that I had to start doing the things. I had to start, you know, the requirements to have that pain washed away. Yeah. Which for me meant that I had to be willing to look at it. I had to be willing to look at the pain. I had to be willing to look, you know, it hurt. It was hard work. I thought it would like when you talked about that tidal wave, you know, that I just keep thinking this tsunami, you know, and it was just yeah. going to keep on going and going and going. And that's what I thought was going to happen to me. And I thought there is no possible way I'll ever survive yes. looking at this. Yeah looking but guess who survived and guess who is so much more than I ever could be because I did look well not only that you looked but you also grabbed a surfboard and learned how to surf there you go I I love to surf and and here we are on Karen the Load and this is all because of looking and grabbing a hold and taking what I've learned 
and then going forward and paying it forward. You're taking what you're learned and paying it forward. I know that someone's going to listen to this podcast who is either in your situation and somehow God helps them find it and listen to it, or they've been in your situation, or they have someone they love so desperately in your situation. I don't know. All I know is that it will help someone in the future. And that is what is so amazing to me is if these simple things. And the other thing I'm loving about all of this is when you reached out to your friend, she didn't fix the problem. (laughs) To be honest, she didn't know I was a meth addict. And I remember hearing her voice going, oh, Sandy didn't tell me that. (laughs) She didn't say that you were a meth addict. Like, what the heck did I get myself into? And I really believed she was just going to stop the car and kick me out. Like I did. Well, she was scared to death of you that five years ago, I may have been a little frightened. And now I look at, I love the, I love our differences. I love our different um, experiences in life that have brought us together. But um, it's just so much more colorful and brilliant, you know, and vibrant in every way. But all I know is if you allow, uh, isn't that what song, who sings the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Oh, I don't know who sings that. I don't know. That just popped into my mind. But if we allow him to take the yeah. will, it's amazing what happens. And, and this better driver. Oh, so much better. <laughs> yeah. And and the destinations, oh, oh, they're amazing. Yeah. And so if we just allow that, it is so much better than if I tried to, you know, do it on my own and to get there. So anyway, this is this is just turning into such a great podcast and, and so many things that different thoughts and, and comments and things that, that I was thinking before. And, um, but we need to jump ahead. Okay. We need to jump ahead into what happened um, in your life. So, so you, so it's a process to become sober, right? It just doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, how long was that just grueling? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was it was rough. I was in treatment for about nine months. Um, but it took me about eighteen months before I stopped feeling uh depressed all the time. Uh it it took a long time for my for my body to heal from, you know, all the damage I did. Um, so, but it was, it's it's amazing that our bodies can heal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but like you said, it took time, it took work, it was painful. It was grueling. Yes. But then here we are, you started, um, an organization, what did you see on the streets? And then, you know, lead me to how you are with what this organization is that you're and what your, your, your love is. Okay. Um, 
So when I was in treatment still, I would, I was only, had only been sober for about three months. I was, I was in outpatient rehab. I went to an emergency preparedness conference and I learned about um, a technology called foam clothing. And, and they were telling me that if you wear this certain type of clothing, you can get wet in freezing temperatures and you won't even be cold. So Amazing. Like, yeah, if you lose the ability to heat your home, say, then you you can just wear this clothing and you don't need to use your firewood for heating yourself. You can use your firewood for stuff like cooking, you know, stuff that is real necessity because you'll burn through it to, to stay heated really quickly. So when I'm hearing this, I was just my mind just got flooded because I'm like, I just came from living in my truck you know, staying at my storage unit that had no power and in, in the winter time and it was freezing. And I'm thinking like my mind's just flooded, like, oh my gosh, if I had only had access to this, I remember sitting in my storage unit, just freezing to death going like, if I only could, you know, just get a space heater and somehow put a blanket over me and just heat the space, you know, like, but so hearing about this was like, no way. Like, I didn't know anything like this existed. And I just started thinking about how many people's lives could be saved and like, oh my gosh, I could buy so many of these and just take them to the homeless. And then I heard the price tag and it was like, it was like insulting. It was like $800 for a sleeping bag, $700 for a head to toe suit. And to make that, like I looked at it and was like, I, I know what goes into making that because it's very easy to see. And there's no way it costs $800 to make that. And so anyway, because I'm crazy. I bought one of the suits and I wanted to make sure that it really worked. And cause I wanted to get these into the hands of homeless people that it was like, I saw that and my passion just, that's, it was just born right there. Like I felt like this needed to happen. And so I bought one of these suits. I broke the ice on a stream in my neighborhood and I laid down in it. It was 10 degrees outside and it was by far the dumbest idea I've ever had. Home and I get up and start walking home and and I and I'm I'm walking like I don't know maybe 30 40 feet away from the stream and my feet warmed up and then feet warmed up the rest of me warmed up and I was like totally soaking wet outside 10 degree weather not even cold and I was just like no way like this is so cool and so I didn't know how how in the world I was going to get these into the hands of homeless people because they didn't know how to sew I didn't I mean I I'd sewed a little in high school but but I knew that it was the technology was legit, you know, and so um, I was not in a position at that time to to go off and make this happen. But but I do know that um, I I started telling everybody that that I met about it and my idea for wanting to get this into the hands of homeless people. I didn't know how it was going to happen. People thought I was a nut job. Um, and then one day I, I said a prayer and I asked God how he was doing. And I wanted to know, I was feeling really heartbroken for God because I'm looking around and I'm seeing like, there's people that hate him. There's people that hate each other. There's like all this violence in the world. There's, I mean, people on the streets fighting. There's people in rehabs fighting, like every, like, there's so much pain and 
and I felt like I felt like I just wanted to know what I could do to 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 help him have a better day. I was really caring about his heart. And um, about an hour later, I got a really strong answer. And it was, he was, I mean, it was, it's funny the way he talks to me, but um, I'll never forget it. Cause he was just like, Jen, I think it is so cute that you care how my heart is doing. I mean, I, but I don't know if you're aware, I am the healer of all broken hearts. But if you really, really care about wanting to help me have a better day, the thing that really breaks my heart is the way that my children treat each other. And so this idea that you have to get this technology into the hands of homeless people for free, like, I want you to run with it. I want you to go to the tops of organizations that help homeless people and talk to them, tell talk until somebody hears you and somebody believes in you. And, and I mean, I felt it so strongly, like this was what he wanted me to do. And I feel like it's been a mission that I've been on ever since. So he didn't tell me how to do it, but he told me he wanted me to do it. And so it kind of went from there. Um, he didn't tell you how to do it. Nope. <laughs> He's ask, wanting you to ask, and it started with a question, right? Yep. And, and um, the right question and an interesting question. And I love that he talks to you in a way that resonates with you. Yep. You know, which is so fun. And, and so here you are, you've created this organization and we're going to put in the show notes a link to to this organization um that you can have but i love how you know you've gone back to school mm. you you had to get a ged but now you're getting your bachelor's right yeah yeah and and one of your professors i think is he works in a not for profit is am i Yes. Uh, the missionary that, that was in charge of my pathways class is right. masters in nonprofit management. So here you have, again, you had to take a step. You had to take some action because here you're going to school and I'm assuming you're going to school so you can help yeah. build this, this uh, project and momentum to get this technology into the hands of the homeless. Mm-hmm. And it, it is not coincidence, Jen, that here this this missionary that's there in your program that's helping you with your your education has a master's in nonprofit management. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that is no coincidence. So I'm sure again he's helping you learn who to talk to, what are the right questions to ask. And how to move forward. Yeah. We started this, the nonprofit organization on my second year sobriety birthday. That, so what is this nonprofit organization? It's called the Turtle Shelter Project. And um, so I had been sober for two years when we finally got up and running incorporated. Um, and after the first year, I felt a very strong impression that I needed to, to go back to school. And I, I was the most horrible student alive. And like, 
I really felt strongly that I needed to learn how to run this nonprofit organization legitimately. Um, and I needed some skills for that. But I also really felt like the reason I was supposed to go and specifically to the school that I'm going was so that I could meet certain people. Like I knew there were relationships that I needed to to make that were going to help build this organization. I knew it. And that has been coming to pass left and right. I love this. And and friends, this is how Jen and I met actually is through this, this turtle shelter project and um, working together to uh, set up an opportunity where, where we could um, help participate in, in producing these, these vests, these jackets for the homeless that can then be donated to them. We were going to do a big project in the spring, but with um, COVID hitting, it's been put on hold. Yes. And uh, we can't wait till we have an opportunity to, to move forward with that again. Um, so let me just ask you this question um, kind of in closing. You know, we all have different um, experiences in life and it's, I love how you've taken your experiences and and have found an opportunity through this project to to help to pay it forward. What would you suggest that each of us do or can could do to help pay it forward to reach out and take those experiences of our personal life, those traumas, those heartaches, but then pay it forward well. I know that there have throughout my life, there have been so many people who have bent over backwards trying to help me and be there for me to help me along the way. Um, and so many of those people, I can't ever repay, like for the kindness that they gave me. Um, I had a therapist who's seen me for free for like 20 years. And I mean, that's unbelievable. But one of the things she told me a long time ago was that when she, she left an abusive situation and she had a therapist take her in and see her for free. And this was what she does to pay it forward because someone helped her. So she wants to help another. And I think that's what, what it really is, is like, we know what it feels like to hurt. And so we want to reach out and be there for other people so that they don't hurt quite as bad. The organization that, that we run, we, we have a very specific motto um, that I feel like is, is important and ties into what, what it is you're talking about. Um, our motto is every life has value and that every person can serve. We aren't just making clothes for the homeless that will help them survive and be less miserable in the winter. We're also creating opportunities for people to serve other people in a really meaningful way that can help save a life because we've even had homeless people that we've handed these out to come back and help us make more. It's like when, when Christ, where he healed the 10 lepers and one of them came back to say, thank you. It's, it's kind of like that situation. Like you're so grateful or the kindness and love of others that you want to pay it back. You want to, you want to help another. And so that is, that's really what our organization is all about. And, and that's what, 
I really feel like service is the only way that I stay clean and stay sober. And I think that's the only way that, and sharing that with other people, like it is, it's, it is what makes this all possible, at least my recovery. For me, that's the key in my life. Yeah. And, and that's where I was able to find the joy find the happiness, find the light again and not, you know, be so, so beaten down and, and, and sad and lonely. And, you know, I could be in a room and surrounded by all these people, but I would feel alone. Right. Even though you know, I knew they loved me, but I was alone. It just was a strange thing. But service was the key. The service was always what pulled me out when I was, you know, was when I was in a bad spot. And just like, you know, the Turtle Shelter Project, I love where you talk about how every life has value and every person can serve. That's why we have care on the load. That's why, you know, this is such a beautiful thing that, that fits so well together. It's all about paying it forward. I don't want one person to go another day feeling alone and not understanding that, you know, someone's been there before. Someone understands and you can get out of this. You can find hope. You can be happy. You can feel loved. That there is so much power and strength that comes when we come together mm-hmm. and we we lift together and we complement and help us eat and love. It does. And that is the purpose. Yeah. And that's why we're really here. And, and, you know, my heart has just been aching to look and see what's going on in the world. Right. You know, so much of it is because of the pain that's behind the smile. Yeah, because they don't feel that love. And if we can help in any small way, then everything we've gone through is worth it. And um, and so, you know, friends, thank you for listening. Jen, thank you for spending time um, with me today and sharing these experiences. I really appreciate the opportunity. This has been great. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Jen Spencer of the Turtle Shelter Project. She is an amazing woman with an amazing story that she has shared and will continue to share with us in a part two that will be released on Thursday. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share Karen the Load with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep on, Karen. Mm-hmm.